Uh, if I don't know you, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here uh, at Center Church. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons I might not know you is over the last month, uh, I have not been preaching. And so, man, this is my uh, first Sunday back after a month. That's not why the balloons are up here. Uh, that is from If Gathering. Uh, but, man, I am glad to be back. And I want us to just begin our time. If you... Uh, man, yeah, open with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. Today, uh, we're going to pick back up where we left off a month ago. So uh, at the end of January, we finished up uh, Nehemiah 3 and 4, and then we've spent the last four weeks in a series entitled Voices, where each week, um, man, we had someone uh, different come in and share um, with the life of our church, share things that they are passionate about, that God has laid on their heart from His Word uh, and so, man, um, as we do that, as you settle in, I just want to, man, just say a couple of things about the last month. Um, it, it, you know, it, it was uh, a bit different to take a break uh, from preaching, uh, to spend a little time resting, to spend a little time, man, just caring for my own, my own soul, to, uh, to uh, not, uh, not perfectly uh, to, uh, not feel like, uh, every Saturday I was immediately just amped up, uh, that I was processing because I don't know if you know this, but most, pa- most pastors, pretty much every pastor I know, man, Saturdays are just kind of a hard day, uh, in terms of you just kind of start processing, uh, today, uh, on Saturday. And, uh, and the reason I also say not perfect is because Sunday I was every week, I was pretty much a ball of nervous energy. And Haley would be like, hey, hey, uh, you got the kids ready. It's only 8 a.m. And we don't have anywhere to be. So uh, I need you to calm that down a little bit. Uh, go drink some more coffee or not. Uh, and uh, yeah, but man, just uh, man, just a lot of those uh, just feelings and, and, and learning, uh, man, how to just relax and rest over the last month. Uh, while good, uh, it wasn't easy. Also, uh, people have asked, like, hey, how was it? And that, man, I don't, uh, honestly, I think one of my answers right now is I don't really know. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to know the full fruit of what this last month held for a while. I think it's still kind of just being revealed. And man, I'm still kind of uh, working into uh, some of the things that God walked me through over the last month. Uh, and so, yeah, I just want to say... Um, just to kind of begin is just, man, just I want to thank you all for that time, uh, for allowing that time, but also uh, for continually showing up. Uh, that's that's a fear, right? Like, because uh, there's something that goes on in my mind is like, hey, because uh, I've seen it. Uh, if the pastor takes some time off, everyone just just take some time off on Sunday, you know. And uh, but man, y'all continue to show up. Y'all continue to uh, man serve and just man. Uh, very amazing capacities. And so I want to thank you uh, for that. Um, and also, just as I just kind of get back in the swing of this, uh, man, standing up here, uh, it, it's not lost on me. Like this, um, and I, I don't think that this came from this last month, but man, just being here now, like, man, this is a privilege and a joy in my life. It, it, it was hard to get back in the rhythm this week. <laughs> like, how, how, you know, how, how do I do this? But, man, it, it, this is a privilege and a joy. Like, I love 
that I get the opportunity to proclaim God's word. And secondly, man, I want to say not just for myself, but man, on behalf of really, uh, specifically Haley and I, is that, man, we love this church. Like, we, uh, we were blessed to attend two other churches during that time. And, and, and what we found ourselves uh, over and over again saying is that, man, we just love gathering and worship with the people here. It's not that other churches were bad or we disliked it. It was just like, man, we just love the people that God has placed in our lives here. We love being here. We love worshiping. And man, I, I think the reason is, is because, man, I, I, I believe that this place is special. And, and I want you to hear, I don't think that we're like more special, right? But like it's special because, man, it, it, it's... God has used this church to transform my heart and life. And, and I hope the same holds true for you. But like, man, like, so when I am away from it, be it vacation or, a, you know, a, a few weeks away, man, I miss it because it's special to me. It's not that the building's special, but each of you are special to me. And man, as we think about that, and, and man, this is my, the prayer for myself is that I wouldn't forget that or take it for granted. And also, man, and I want to encourage all of us to this, man, if you feel that same way, I want to encourage you to invite others into what God is doing. You see, there's this tendency at times when something special to us is we want to hoard it, Right? <laughs> Uh, you know, let, let's, you know, this is mine. These are my people. Like, we're, we can't let, no, like, let's invite people into this. And I would say specifically unbelievers, like, let's invite them into what God's doing, even though that might be messy. Guess what? Like, we're messy, right? But man, also, let's invite those who don't have a place. So I just wanted to share those things. But with that, let's jump back into Nehemiah. Let's jump back into this series that we entitled Revive and Rebuild, where we're looking at, man, just this reality of, uh, of the life of the church right now. What we see, man, what I think you see consistently throughout Scripture is there are many moments where things are broken down uh, and, and exposed. And in light of that, what God wants to do is He wants to revive and rebuild, Right? Ultimately, we see that that's the picture of the narrative of the gospel, right? That, man, God created and then we see, man, there's this brokenness that comes with sin. But, man, what happens is God restores and he is making all things new, right? Like that narrative of scripture that we see in the gospel. But what we know and, man, what we've experienced, I don't believe it's just the last couple of years. But I believe, man, it, it extends even further than that. Maybe we just didn't notice it as, as much. But, man, there are constantly, man, moments and seasons where things just seem really broken. And, and oftentimes we can do one of two things. We can throw our hands up and just say, hey, I'm done with this. We can just push really hard and try to make it look better than it actually is. Or we can say, God, what are you wanting to do in this moment? How are you wanting to revive and rebuild? How are you wanting to, the, the good news of what Jesus has done to infiltrate every aspect of not just our lives and the world around us, but specifically the church? 
And so this is what, as we've journeyed through Nehemiah, which is a book of revival and rebuilding, this is what we've seen. We've seen this picture of broken things being and beginning to be restored and rebuilt. And so uh, as we start, let me give just kind of a, uh, a quick recap, which if you know anything about me, my recaps aren't ever quick, but I'll try. Uh, we're going to recap since we haven't been in in a month, and then we'll jump into the first five verses. So Nehemiah, whom the book uh, is named after, is a Jew who finds himself in exile, and he is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And he gets word that, uh, man, things aren't good in Jerusalem, right? The walls are broken down. And not only that, but it says, man, the people are, man, they're in shame. They are, the people are broken. Things are a mess. And Nehemiah hears this. And what he does is he turns to God and he cries out in repentance. Again, Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem. He, he, he is not dealing with that stuff, but he still says, hey, I'm guilty of what's going on there as well. And so he repents to God and then he cries out, Independence said, God, I want you to move. God, will you do something? And God does. God, uh, man, empowers Nehemiah and gives him, man, this providential grace to go before the king. And he, he says, look, uh, man, I want to go back to Jerusalem and I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the king gives him permission, but he doesn't just give him permission to go and fix what's broken. He also gives him provision and authority. He gives him authority in the face of not only opposition, but he gives him authority, as we see in the text, to call the people to the work. And we see that in two ways. We see first that he has the king's authority, but man, we all know that there's a greater authority. You see, he also carries the very authority of God. And so Nehemiah heads to Jerusalem and he gets there, he surveys things, and then he acts, right? And not only does he act, the way he acts is he honestly shares the reality of where things are. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, man, things are really broken. You see, you can't fix brokenness without acknowledging the fullness of the brokenness. Really, that's where we're headed today. Is, man, we, God always wants to get to the root of the brokenness while we always want to just fix the outlying things of the brokenness, right? Let's just duct tape it together. It'll be all right. As an example, like, you know, bro- broken arms, like if you break your arm, like you can't ignore that, right? I mean, you can, but what's gonna, it's going to heal funny. Uh, my uncle, he uh, didn't care for his broken arm one time, and then for the rest of his life, he couldn't extend his arm all the way out. And I'd be like, man, why? Did, like, just go to the doctor, right? Like, what are you? Th-? But it, it was just, I'm, I'm fine. I'm tough, right? Like, I'll take care of it. No, you can't even point. Like, you got nothing. It didn't heal right. But not only can broken arms not be ignored, they also can't be fixed by simple superhero-themed band-aids. You see, in life, we are often not honest about our brokenness. We seek to make light of it. We seek to cover it up. We seek to point and blame others. Or we just settle for the quick fix, either by band-aid faith or by impatience that doesn't allow for deep healing. And so following his honest assessment, 
Nehemiah motivates and encourages God's people to be part of the plan of revival and rebuilding. And man, they jump right in. You see, the same holds true for us as the church today because Nehemiah, as we've seen, is a picture for us to see that while things might seem broken, we shouldn't shy away from honest assessments, humble repentance, and the motivating hope and call of the gospel that enlists each and every one of us in the work of revival and rebuilding. We are all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are enlisted and called into the work of revival and rebuilding the broken things around us. It's this call that we saw that produced the names that we saw in chapter 3, but it's also, as we closed out our time at the end of January, in the midst of this motivating work that Satan produces opposition because Satan is a what? He's a turd, right? Yeah. It's our running theme. Uh, He is. He continues to bring about opposition. And what we saw in chapter 4 was we saw it in two forms. We saw it externally, Sambalat and Tobiah. They they poke fun at the work. They poke fun at God's people. They try to show their military might by marching in front. They make threats. So we see this external opposition, but also we see this internal opposition. Opposition and threat. Man, the people, they struggle with doubt. They struggle with discouragement. Man, they are physically and emotionally exhausted. It's going to be the same kind of external and internal theme that we're going to note today in our text as well. But Nehemiah's response is that he prays a prayer. And in the prayer, he rebukes the men that are opposing them externally. And then... He calls the people to remember God and to fight for one another. And so we get this amazing response in light of God's people in unity, seeking to restore and revive that which has been broken down when they were placed into exile. But even as this is going on, even in the midst of the opposition around them, if that wasn't enough, what we find in the text today is that the opposition and brokenness, which I'm going to describe it, it's sin, Inside and amongst the people of God is also seeking to destroy the rebuilding of God or the rebuilding of the people of God. Remember, while Nehemiah is a story about the rebuilding of the wall, the real goal of this book is about God's love and his purpose of stirring revival in his covenant people. People are greater than walls. Guess what? God is a greater protector than any wall. And what we're going to see today is that while rebuilding is taking place, man, really what we notice is that the same sins, really the same selfishness, self-worship, self-focus that sent the people of God into exile, that produced God's judgment. Man, what's happening in in, in chapter 5 is those things are beginning to come to the surface and they're trying to keep the people in exile and under judgment. Anyone experience that, right? Like for some reason, like you just there, there's just these certain sins that you just continue to struggle with, and you continue to repent of, and lay them down. And man, if you're, you know, they they just t- tend to just continue just to come up all the time, right? Like I thought I dealt with you yesterday, but Jesus, like help me. Like that's what's happening in, in the lives of those that are trying to rebuild this wall. 
And so even if the visible effects of exile are getting taken care of, the walls being rebuilt, the internal sin and corruption that caused it, all of it has to be addressed for things to really be rebuilt. See, for us today, I think we need to hear this. You, you can work on the outside all you want, but it's what's on the inside that counts, right? Like if you don't believe me, like just look at like look at the gospels. Look at what is Jesus always talking about, right? Like every time, especially when he meets the religious, he's like, "Hey, you think you've got it on the outside, but but man, it's the inside of the cup is just filthy and dirty." He says, "Look, you you think, man, you're like a whitewashed tomb, right? Like you painted that thing up really nice. You open the tomb, what's in there?" He says, "Man, you're just dead bones." He says, "Your heart's not right." You, you look the part, but man, you're missing it. You see, God's people, they could have rebuilt all the walls and they could have felt really good about it. And they would have still been overrun if they didn't deal with what's going on inside here. Actually, that's what we see. Like, all, like, the rest of the Old Testament is just these pictures of God's people turning to Him and God rescuing them out of their oppressor. And then guess what? They just turn back to those same old sins and then boom, it happens again. And then boom, this is not the first nor the last time they'll be in exile. And man, the reality for us is we're real good at building walls that we think will fix things, that we think will protect us. But guess what? Walls do nothing when the issues inside the walls are not taken care of at a heart level. And the reason I believe this, the reason I believe that, man, we run to kind of uh, the external production of wall building in our lives is because, man, it's just easier to build walls than to allow God to do a mighty work in our hearts, is it not? Because that exposes. I I can't control that. It moves me from pride to humility, from uh, from, uh, this attitude that I have it all together and that I can do it all to dependence and I cannot. I mean, just a few examples. Like, let's go with, uh, you know, for me, the ones about like parenting. Like in parenting, like as I, and, and I say these things because the, the, this last month, this is what I dealt with and worked at, was like, man, what does it look like for me to be a more patient father? Because I found myself just quick to anger and quick to impatience. And man, if I'm honest, like I still find myself there in moments. And what God is doing is He's exposing that because, man, I can look like a good pastor dad all I want, but guess what? Like, my kids are probably going to have to have counseling anyways, but guess what? Like, I can look like that externally, but I I don't want to be a dad at home that's just angry. But it's easier to yell and get angry than to deal with the brokenness in my own heart and the heart of my child. Or children, actually. It's not just one child. (laughs) But I said in my heart first. I was meeting with a counselor the other day, and he and I shared with us, some of you know this, but I, I was talking to him, and I was talking about, man, I just find myself so impatient. Just quit. And he was like, well, why? And I was like, man, because, you know, and I just feel like, man, when my, my kids act up, it's just an inconvenience to me. 
It just, it, it just, and what we found out was that, man, I'm just agitated by it. And, 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 and just God just used his word to just reveal it. And, and I was like, that's it. And, and from that, just realizing like in my mind, like oftentimes, man, I'm, I guess what, like I can just be selfish and just want my peace and my comfort and my security. And so, man, when my kids get in the way with that, I'm like, what are you doing? This is my kingdom. And I'll snap. Hey, don't do that. Why are you acting like a child? You're a child. What I realize is over and over, like most of the time, it's just me feeling inconvenienced and not seeing, as, as, as I learned in counseling, I don't see it, not seeing every moment as holy. Every moment is a moment to where I can, man, reveal to my kids the good news of the gospel. And then there's the other side, right? Like, kids are sinners, just like me. But guess what? It's a lot easier just to nip that their sin in the bud than to actually explain to them why they're having consequences. It's easier to raise my voice and just give them a little bit of fear of man than talking to them about the greater thing they should fear, which is God's judgment. But that in the midst of that, there's grace through Jesus Christ. We do the same thing in our marriages, right? Like it's easier to blame your spouse for all your issues rather than taking responsibility for your own stuff, right? But at the end of the day, you're responsible for you and your response. I mean, we see this in the church. Like if we're not careful, we can have a church that displays itself with really great walls. But as Jesus tells the Pharisees, again, the religious, so we need to be careful, not be prideful. We can be, too, can be filled with dead man's bones. And so my hope for today is that we would allow God to reveal our hearts. That we would quit trying to build walls for the sake of progress if in doing so we never do the deep work of rooting out the brokenness in our hearts that needs to be removed, rebuilt, and restored by the gospel. You see, to truly revive and rebuild the brokenness around us, we must do the hard work of allowing God to uh, hone in, uh, to honestly reveal, uh, to honestly expose and to heal the brokenness inside of us. And so with that really long introduction, let's look at the first five verses of Nehemiah chapter 5. It's not as long afterwards, so... We're going to read verses 5 through 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Okay, so what we find to start this chapter is that the people of God are struggling. There's the brokenness, the oppression, the opposition that we've already seen in the text, man. But also what we see is that there's famine. Uh, we see, man, there's this economic downturn and it's wreaking havoc amongst the people. And so they cry out. 
They cry out in desperation. But but not only are they desperate, what we see is that in their desperation, man, they've had to make some really hard and impactful decisions. You see, as they do the work of rebuilding, but more specifically, as they just try to live, they're not simply struggling to find food. They're trying to find the money to get the food that they need. And so what happens is some of them are selling the land that was given to them by their ancestors, while others are even going so far as to sell their own children. They're selling their children into slavery. What we see here, what this is a picture of is actually a reversal of Exodus. Like, think about it. Like, there's really two main themes here. There's inheritance and freedom. And what we see in the Exodus story is God's people are in a land that's not their own. And they're what? They're enslaved. And yet God, by His mighty hand, brings them out, frees them from their enslavement. So they wouldn't be enslaved any longer. And then, what does He say? He says, man, we're going to the promised land. A land that I gave to your father, Abraham, right? Like, I had a promise to him And He does it. He gives them an inheritance. Like it's the same for the church today. Like we have the same two promises, right? Like we have freedom in Christ. We are no longer enslaved to our trespasses and sins, but we now have freedom in Jesus. But also we've been given an inheritance because that's what we're part of God's kingdom. He says we are children of the King. And so we see in this moment, these, man, these decisions they're having to make, man, for them, man, it, it, it's not only hard, but it's this extra picture of just like, man, we're going back to what we came from. Now, we would all agree that these things taking place are tragic. But, man, this is a travesty in light of what it means to be the people of God. I mean, for us today, we should see this as a check engine light for our own lives. Because you see compromises, be it because of brokenness or because of, man, our own just habitual sin. Compromising, man, a life of faith for, man, the quick turn to whatever your sin of choice is. Always leads to brokenness. Compromises made by God's people in the story that brought them to these compromises bring to life their need for revival and rebuilding. You see, we too as followers of Jesus can just as easily move towards compromise that costs us. The sin of compromise, especially as God's children, is something that we should be aware of and seek to avoid. Compromise, when it comes to living in the kingdom, always leads to famine, destruction, and enslavement. Every time. We are not meant to live lives of compromise. We are meant to live lives of what? Of promised inheritance. As one commentator, actually a buddy of mine, he, he, he said this about this text. He says, Christ did not die and rise again for us to live lukewarm lives of compromise. He died and rose again so that we could live lives that display the radical freedom and generosity that comes when the power of sin's enslavement is broken in us and amongst us. But but it goes deeper in this story because the compromise is not simply due to the brokenness around them. But the sin of injustice being done to them. 
We see this in, you see this in justice. We find in this text is the reason that they cry out. If you look at verse one, it says that they, that this cry goes out, right? And it's not just like oftentimes in scripture, it'll say the, you know, the men, and that's a general term for like men, but this is specific. Like this is like, hey, the men and their wives, right? Like this is a serious thing that's taking place here. Everyone is struggling with this. The the word for cry out is the same word used to describe Abel's blood crying out from the ground after being murdered by Cain in Genesis 4. But look who it's against. It's not against Sambalat and Tobiah. No, the injustice, the brokenness that's led to some to have to compromise and enslave their own children is due to the sins of other Jews towards those in need. You see, the sad reality is, is that while we easily point the finger to those outside the church as the problem, if we're really honest, often in the circles I run in, and guess this is the circle I run in, much more of the hurt, not all of it, but much more of the hurt, pain, sin, and injustice is due to us not holding regard for one another above our own. And so we seek to gain advantage. At times, we outright just hurt one another. By way of compromising for our kingdoms rather than sacrificing for God's kingdom. And so we sin against one another by way of, because you may be thinking, well, I'm not enslaving anyone's children. But we sin against one another by way of grumbling, criticizing, gossiping, stewing and simmering rather than seeking the freedom that comes through revival and rebuilding when we walk in humility and repentance. Those are just a few of the ways. And so what happens here is that in the midst of the famine and a downturn economy, what has happened is rich Jews have essentially become loan sharks that are requiring God's people, their own people, to sell back their inheritance and enslave their own people to pay back what they owe. This is why they're crying out. Look how Nehemiah responds. We're going to read 6 through 13. Nehemiah says this, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they might be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil you've been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. All right, so Nehemiah hears about what's taking place. And it says, he says, I became very angry 
But but look at what he does in his anger. He he doesn't immediately go and like lash out. No, it, it says that he took counsel with himself. Nehemiah needed a moment. Okay, like that's what happened, right? Like Nehemiah didn't go back and just say, hey, Nehemiah, what should I do? Like I need myself. No, he really what he's he's like, I need some time because I need to cool down. Any of you ever do that, right? Like in our house right now, like there's there's been this theme lately where it's like, hey, you not between between Haley and our kids, you go to your room. I'm going to go to my room and we're just going to take it some time. Okay. We need a moment. Because guess what? I don't want to walk in anger and sin, and I you don't want any more consequences, right? Or to walk in anger and sin. We uh, listen to a podcast, and Haley listens to it a lot, and she, they, they, they say this thing a lot, and they call it lizard brain, where you're just not speaking with your you're not thinking with your right brain, and you just need some time. Like, that's what Nehemiah needs. He needs a moment to calm down. And so if you're honest in life when angry, do you tend to take a moment or do you just lash out? And by take a moment, I also don't mean that you go in the room and try to build your argument so you can win when you come back in. Right? that you would go in the room and say, God, I desperately need your grace. I don't know what to do. Will you help me? Will you give me the words to say? Will you point me to Scripture? I know I need to do that more often. So following his breather, Nehemiah immediately goes and he brings charges to those who are in sin. Is, Is this what we do as well? When you see injustice and sin, do you go to the one in sin and humility, not anger? Or do you take some time to spread their sin around to others so you might build an army of offense and seek to justify your unrighteous anger and your own sin before going to confront them with their sin? If, like, if you ever get there. Because a lot of times like we'll do all that and then we won't even go to the person. We talk a big game to others, but rarely confront others in humility and with grace. Instead, we like to hold it so we can hold it against them later. You see, Nehemiah confronts them. And he doesn't just confront them. Also, he gathers the people together because he says, man, like to them, like this is like a teaching moment. Like, hey, we all because probably they're all probably guilty of this in some way, right? Not only that, but Nehemiah knows, guess what? It's worth, like, even if they don't finish, like, the building of the wall stops. Like, let's stop that for a moment because it's more important that we deal with this. And he reminds them, he says, look, guys, like, what are you doing? He says, we bought back, like, there were people enslaved from the exile and we've done everything we could to buy them back and now you sell them? You allow them to be sold into slavery for your gain? You're committing the same brokenness. See, in reality, what, what, what they're going against is the very word of God. And Nehemiah is trying to say, hey, God already told us in Exodus, he, he, God actually forbids his people from exacting interest from one another. The, the term used is ursery. 
And we probably don't, we just think it's compounding interest or things like that. But actually in this day and time, usury was in the same uh, category as adultery and murder. Like that's how significant it was. It was so significant that what I love, if you look at verse 13, man, Nehemiah is so serious about this. He's like, hey, you better fear God and turn in repentance and, and, and man, give all their stuff back. Or And what he does is he shakes his robes, which is a sign of if you don't, God's going to shake you out in judgment. You see, while it's a problem sacrifice enough to suffer through the external threats around him. Man, God's people are also suffering from brokenness and evil that seek and destroy them from the inside. It goes back to those external and internal threats. And guess what? Like, that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to divide us all the time. He wants us to... Uh, seek to gain advantage. Like, he's always doing that. Like, he wants, because, man, he wants to oppose at every turn. You see, we have the same struggles. We have the same issues, and they are a threat, and we have to wrestle. Like when we're looking at this life, I'm like, what is it? They, they're called to stop living uh, uh, in unjust ways and start living in just ways. We have to wrestle, man. For us today, like, what does it look like for us to live justly in an unjust world? Often, the way we live, the way we think we live justly in an unjust world is by we're just going to yell and scream and point the finger a lot. But how are we to live differently as God's people when the world around us? just seeks to enslave one another. That's what Nehemiah says. He says, hey, look, like, man, when you're doing this, you're an embarrassment to the kingdom. You see, God's people are always to be a display people, to display God's glory. He says, man, if you're enslaving others, man, you're, you're not doing that. How, how are we to show grace to one another? How are we to be generous and open-handed with what we have to use all that God has given us, not for selfish gain, but for the flourishing of others? You see, this is what it means to be the people of God. And so today, how are you exacting interest from others? And I don't believe that this simply just means monetary. I believe in the text it does, like it's monetary interest. But, man, we exact interest on a lot of things, right? We're always keeping that little, like, internal, like, tally mark of what the bad things people have done to us, right? Right? If you get like three strikes and you're out, I'm done with you. Like what about the interest that builds by withholding forgiveness from others? How much unforgiveness are you holding on to that's just building relational interest and wreaking havoc in your life and the lives of those around you? Guess what? The world around us has enough division. The world around us has enough unforgiveness and selfishness. We are called to be something different. And for us, the mark and call is the same that we've seen in the story today. It's living gospel-centered lives that are really marked by two things. Radical repentance and radical generosity. You see, Nehemiah does not shame the people for their sins. And guess what? Jesus does not shame us. You know why? Because Jesus took our shame. 
Therefore, may we not shame one another, but instead call one another and give to one another radical repentance and radical forgiveness. Uh, Let's look at those two things. Let's begin with radical repentance. So the the first way that he calls them to, it's not just repentance. He says, "I, I, I want you to forgive their debt. You see, the rich is an act of repentance or to forgive the debt owed, to give the people back their inheritance and freedom. And it says to require nothing in return. And the same holds true for us. When you give forgiveness, you don't give it with strings attached. You weren't forgiven by Jesus with strings attached. We are to forgive people in light of how we've been forgiven. We owed a cosmic debt to God that we couldn't pay back, and yet Christ paid it by giving His life for ours. Therefore, we are to forgive others even when it's costly, because guess what? Our sin was costly. Man, you want to display a different kingdom? You want to proclaim the gospel? Forgive others who wrong you, especially your enemies. Well, we were at IF yesterday. I got the opportunity to run slides and sound. And um, they did an interview, I think it was Friday, or one of the night, I think it was Friday night, where they interviewed a pastor in Ukraine. They said, What's going on? And they, he shared everything with them. And then he, they said, How can we, like, how are you and how can we be praying for you? And he laid out some things. And he said, But look, he said, I want you to pray for the Russian people. I want you to pray for the mothers and the wives that have lost children. I want you to pray that this war would like it, but I want you to pray like they're praying for their enemies. The world doesn't do that, guys. They drop more bombs. We're to be different. We're to forgive because we've been forgiven. In the words of a pastor friend of mine, in a world driven by cancel culture, and guess what? Like, we the church cancel too. I like, as I wrote, like, I heard, like, I've been canceled, right? You probably have too in ways, but we also cancel others. Instead of just meeting them where they're at. But in a world driven by cancel culture and endless outrage, we are called to be agents of radical grace and forgiveness, even to our enemies. But guess what? It has to start with one another. I love what happens in the text. It says, man, the people respond towards one another and they say, hey, we're going to do that. And then they say, amen, and they worship. And following this, I'm not going to read 14 through 19, but what you find is this beautiful picture of Nehemiah modeling what he's after. Because if you look at it, I don't know if you have a title above 14 through 19, but I think mine says like Nehemiah's generosity. And so in light of their radical repentance, what Nehemiah says, hey, look, man, there's these burdens on all these people. And so, man, he just begins to be generous. He's just generous with everything he has. Uh, So much so that he said, man, I think it's 150 people a day were eating at his table and he was footing the bill. You see, while Nehemiah has not personally sinned, he chooses to live differently by modeling radical generosity. 
You see, we too, in light of how generously we've been given grace, are to be radically generous. In a culture that lives either uh, with either a scarcity or a prosperity at all costs mindset, we are to be a gospel culture that lives generously with all we've been given. Because of what Jesus has done, we are called to be a people who willingly, and I'll say that again, who willingly give our time, gifting, and treasure for the kingdom of God. While God's people look to Nehemiah, the reason we do this is because we look to one who's better than Nehemiah. We look to Jesus who was faithful to the point of death. We look to the one who forgave his enemies and generously gave his life for our sake. We look to him who led the greater exodus, who purchased our freedom and gave us life and an inheritance that is imperishable and eternal. We look to a Savior who rules by grace and in perfect authority. He is a King that will not allow us. This is so good. He is a King that will not allow us to continue to build walls outwardly while forsaking any and all brokenness that seeks to reside inwardly. Grace is too good and too costly for Him to do that. Like He gave too much. Which is why, I mean, if you look at like... Through, through the scripture, like he's always going deeper to the heart. And in your life, like he's always going deeper to the heart. You see, to revive and rebuild requires us to live in radic- a radically different new way. This is not merely a story about the rebuilding of walls, but of God's grace and mercy and the restoration of the hearts and lives of his people. So let us live differently. The world around us needs what we have. Let's stop looking elsewhere. Let's stop following alongside what they're doing. Let's stop pointing the finger and instead deal with our own mess and practice such radical repentance and generosity that although the world might reject it, they cannot deny that we are different. see, our thread is to continue to walk in the same patterns and never deal with the root of what's going on in our lives. And if you do that, man, we'll never see any real fruit or change. But the opportunity is gospel change. The opportunity is humility and honesty. The opportunity is repentance. And man, let that not be a bad word anymore. The opportunity is forgiveness and generosity. So I'm going to have a team come back up, but I just want to, man, as we close out, man, what in your heart needs to be dealt with today? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to seek forgiveness or receive forgiveness? Right? Like, where do you need today? Like, maybe you've just been holding out forgiveness from somebody. Like, maybe, like, they don't, like, just, just forgive them today. Where do you need to grow in generosity? You see, I believe we can build a church building that looks really good. But I would rather have a church culture that's radically repentant and generously gracious. Because again, it's not about these walls. The church is a people. 
And so just as I like, like, may we not forget and take this for granted. May we hold one another as, man, they're special to me. May we be radically generous. May we be radically repentant. That it would just be who we are. Because the world around us needs it. So I want to invite you to respond. Uh, maybe it's just spending some time in repentance. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just, uh, maybe you need to go to someone else and say, hey, I need to repent of this today. Uh, maybe it's man, just ask, you know, asking forgiveness or maybe it's just giving forgiveness. Maybe part of that repentance is you need to go to someone and say, hey, I've been withholding forgiveness from you for a long time and I just need to repent of that and know that I forgive you. Maybe it's just wrestling like, God, how can I be more generous? And a lot of uh, people hear that all the time and think, well, Kyle's asking for more money. No, man, it, like God will take care of us. Not ask it like I mean generous with your entire life. And then I want to invite you, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, I want you to come and share in communion today. And man, in sharing communion, what you're, this is a reminder of is how much Jesus gave, which is everything. He allowed every part of him to be broken. He allowed his blood to be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might then go and be a forgiving people. So may we do this in remembrance of Him. And may we live lives in light of that. Jesus, I thank You for uh, Your Word. I thank You, God, that You care so much that, God, that You, man, You just continue to uh, draw us deeper into, man, what's going on inside of us Lord, I pray that, man, uh, the ways that we perform, the ways that we try to build up, uh, man, uh, identity and persona uh, that, that is just outward. God, I pray that we would repent of that. And God, that we, uh, that uh, as it says in your word, that, man, God, who we are would be an overflow of what you've done. But that's where we would be rooted and that is what would bear fruit. So God, give us much grace. Draw us to repentance. May we be a radically uh, repentant people. May we be a radically generous people. God, move in, in, in ways that only You can. In Jesus' name.